saints, aints, and friends. Welcome back to the Vibe Central Podcast. Congratulations. You have passed the Vibe Check once again. I know, I know I've been gone for a while. I know, I'm sorry. Been enjoying my... I was about to say hot girl summer, but that would have got me in trouble. Anyways, um, I've been enjoying my summer. It's been a great um, summer working, being a crew member for a musical. But the series is finally here. Yay! What series might you ask? Well, today starts the first episode of our series of sexual assault citywide. During the previous school year, um, many students had concerns. Many teachers had concerns. Many uh, administrators had concerns. So I figured I would use my platform to not only let these voices be heard, but to also make some sense out of this because it was crazy. So much happened at one time. So much went left, so much went right, so much went up, so much went down. It was it was a mess. And this also kind of hits different for me as a person because I, I've been through this, I've been through assault. And so I, I wanted to talk about it because I wanted to kind of be that voice that was like, okay, you know, it's happening and we can't deny it, but what can we do as a community? So hopefully, hopefully this sheds some light on everything. With that being said, because this is our first episode, I wanted to start out strong. Today, I'm talking with um, a licensed therapist. She is an author, she's a writer, she's an all around great person. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Candace Wrights. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just so honored to be here um, on your platform and to talk about such an important um, topic that many sometimes, you know, shy away from. So thank you for using your platform and your audience to, to hold such an important conversation. So thank you. Thank you for being here, honestly. Thank you so much for joining me. All right. So let's start off a little small. What okay. does, what do your day-to-day responsibilities look like? So day-to-day, like you said, I am a licensed therapist. I work for a practice out of Baltimore, totally whole pastoral counseling services. So as a therapist, I have a caseload of about 50 clients um, that I see one-on-one. And we, you know, dive and unpack and process a lot of different things that is causing distress in their lives. Um, one of them being sexual assaults, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, um, and the list goes on. So we work together one-on-one in addressing what they're presently going through while unpacking some past, you know, traumas. So we really work through those things together. So day-to-day, I can see anywhere in between five to nine clients a day. Wow. And what is that? I guess what I want to know is what is, what is that like? How does, is it overloading? Is it, is it, you know, uh, underwhelming, overwhelming? What is, what is it for you specifically? What, what yeah. is Yeah, for me, I really feel like I was graced for this, for this space and, and I have, you know, purpose here. So I really don't feel overwhelmed. I really take care of myself and I really harp on self-care just like I teach and, you know, share with my clients. I do that myself. So I give myself times throughout the day where I take mental breaks to kind of refuel myself and build myself back up so I can show up full 
solely for my clients. So I really don't get overwhelmed, you know, because I'm very intentional on taking care of myself while taking care and helping others. That part, I think self-care is essential almost. People yeah. try to like under, um, under, undervalue it, but I think it needs to be, I think it needs to be talked about. And I think self-care is, is especially needed today. Um, with so much pressure and it, it literally sometimes just seems like everything is falling apart but <laughs> sometimes self-care is needed some self-care is a very necessary thing so yeah. let's jump right let's do it let's do this it. you ready yeah i'm ready Woo! all right so first question yeah from your perspective how does how does sexual assault um in schools or mm-hmm. period how does it affect someone's ability to perform academically like you know as far as school goes um grades Mm -hmm. work work ethic you know how does that how does that affect yeah of course before we can even unpack that we really have to first define what sexual assault is because not everyone understands what sexual assault is and they confuse it with sexual harassment a lot of times so first we have to define what sexual assault is and sexual assault refers to sexual contact or behavior that occurs without explicit consent of the victim some forms of sexual assault can include attempted rape that is typically what we hear the most when we think about sexual assaults, we think about rape, but it's also fondling. It's also unwanted sexual touching, like groping and, you know, touching a girl's breast or touching um, a male's penis. All of those different things when we think about groping, um, forcing a victim to perform sexual acts such as oral sex or penetrating um, someone's body or penetrating the victim's body, which is also known as rape. So sometimes when we think about sexual assault, we automatically think about rape, but we negate and we you know, shy away from all of the other things that are considered sexual assault. And I know that we're gonna unpack this further. So what I wanna say, I'ma hold it until you, you ask this question if you do. So, um, but those are some of the things that we first have to be aware of is what sexual assault is. So when you talk about how does it impact one's ability to focus, there are a lot of short-term, but then also long-term effects of someone who has experienced sexual assault so there's this lack of trust there's this lack of trust that's there this this lack of safety and um when you think about safety and lack of trust that leads into a lack of concentration within the school setting because the trauma that one person especially a young mind because science has shown us when it comes to the brain that children's brains are not fully developed until the age of 25. So you think about the school setting and you think about the trauma that one has experienced. So now you're trying to make sense of what it is that you're experiencing while still trying to get your education, while still trying to be present. So those triggers throughout the day, if someone touches you, even though their touch may not be inappropriate, right? They may just be trying to hug you, a friend, right? Someone's safe. It'll cause you to jump. It'll cause you to be triggered because now your mind is going back to the trauma. So it's hard for you to concentrate while you're in the school setting while your trauma is still being replayed, especially if you are not receiving the support and help or the understanding and compassion in your community. It causes that lack of trust and it causes you to act out in your behaviors. It causes you to become hyper vigilant. It causes you sometimes to disassociate. So when you think about that word dissociation, 
Mitchell, dissociation is really just feeling detached from your environment, detached from the people around you, detached from your body. So when you think about people having that, that break, that detachment, it's them trying to protect themselves from their thoughts, their emotions, their surroundings, their actions, and their identity to not allow the trauma of the sexual assault to now define who they are as an individual while learning who they are at such a young age. There's so many different layers to this because when you think about the school setting and the age of children during this time, this is the time in their life where they're finding themselves. They're finding their identity, they're finding their voice. So to be violated in such a way strips them from that. So there's a lot of different factors, short-term, long-term effects um, that one experiences when they've been sexually assaulted. Yeah, and I think it's very important to understand. First of all, you hit so many different elements of it. You hit so many. And I think it's I think it's important. I think all of them are yeah. um, equally important to understand, first of all, what it is. To first of all, um, understand what it is and to understand, you know, how does it affect me? How does it how does it affect? How does it affect me as as a sixteen year old? You know, oh. I've been through this kind of thing. And how did it affect me as a uh, as a sixteen year old? Sometimes I would dissociate. Sometimes I would, you know, mm-hmm. relive the memory. So unpack yeah. that. Un- if you could just a little bit more unpack mm-hmm. how trauma can cause us to to disassociate. How trauma can cause us to um, even shut down. Sometimes if you could unpack that just a yeah, little bit. Yeah, sure. I feel like that's good. Yeah, especially when you experience trauma and you think about the short-term and long-term effects. If you are not receiving the support and the help that you need after you've been traumatized, after you've been violated, mentally you're stuck there. You're stuck in that trauma. So even as you grow older, even even as you go to the next grade and you enter college, that trauma still follows you because those triggers still follow you because it's something that you haven't addressed. So you, you learn how to dissociate to protect yourself. You learn how to create these defense mechanisms to protect yourself. You learn how to become sometimes someone that you're not to protect yourself. So when you see people that may have been sexually assaulted and you see the behavior change and you may see an outward behavior change and I'll give you an example um, of someone let's talk about a young female that has been sexually assaulted Um, you start to see behavior changes that she may you know change the way that she looks change the way that she dresses because now she's dissociating from what it is that she's experienced, but then now she thinks she has to protect herself externally so no one will want to violate her in that way again. So you look at the how trauma is lasting and how it takes an impact on one's behavior and one's psyche. So that dissociation piece, again, Mitchell, it's, it's a way to protect yourself. It's a way to protect yourself of being violated again, to be disconnected from your thoughts, your memories, your surroundings, and your actions is a way for you to go inwardly and protect yourself that is so good that is honestly so good I, a lot of people don't think of disassociation as a protection mechanism to where mm-hmm. it's you you're, like you really feel like you're protecting yourself so that oh, oh man that is so good that is so good and there's lots more that we can unpack there's so oh, yeah many. if you could unpack this question for me because i think it's also it's one that's been on my mind and it's i'm pretty sure that it's been on the mind of people as well what causes this to be okay in the mind of the perpetrator in the mind of the one who has maybe done it to one person or 
can i don't know mm-hmm. but what causes this to be okay in their minds like what what mindsets could they have or what trauma could they have to work through themselves if you can unpack that a little bit it's the last thing that you said what traumas do they have that they need to work through themselves sometimes when people experience trauma that history repeats itself that because they've been violated, now they think it's susceptible to violate others. So there's a lack of boundaries. There's a lack of understanding. There's a lack of social cues. There's a lack of consent. There's a lot of lack in their mind to cause them to think, okay, this is acceptable to violate others. In order to understand someone's mind, you have to understand their story. You have to understand their story. And even in understanding their story is not to make excuses. It's not to make excuses. And that's the, 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 the line, the blurred line that a lot of people struggle with and saying, you know, it does not, you know, matter what this person has been through, experience, you know, no means no. You know, there's a violation here. So I wanna be clear in that, not, we're not making excuses here, but both parties, both parties need support. Both parties need help because there's a disconnect there mentally for someone to say that it's okay to cross these lines, that it's okay to violate somebody. So when you think about this term that a lot of us hear, hurt people hurt people, traumatized people will re-traumatize others because it's something inside of them that says, one, this is okay, but two, this hurt that I feel, I want to project it onto others. So there's so many different mindsets that one can have. So one perpetrator's mindset is not gonna look like the next person. So I wanna be clear on that. But some people have this intentional mindset of, well, it happened to me no one helped me so they project that and then some people may have a disconnect where there's a lack of understanding of what consent means and what boundaries mean so that's why you have to be clear in the communication and in the education of educating young people what it is to consent what does no mean what does yes mean and it should be said verbally not through body language but it should be said verbally. So sometimes because there's a lack of understanding, there's a lack of knowledge that those lines are crossed. Talk about it. I don't think this conversation has had enough in schools and it is, oh my God, when I tell you it's needed. When I tell you that there have been many times where, where administration, even as students, we've missed the mark of having these extremely important conversations, understanding consent, understanding what no means, understanding what it is to heal from this type of thing. Yeah. Like understanding what it is to heal from this and to move on from it so that you don't go and traumatize other people. Yeah. And speaking of that, you hit on it just a little bit, but where do you think we've gone wrong in, Mm. in educating um, the victim and the perpetrator, where do you think we've gone wrong with it? Because we sometimes, yeah. we can either point to um, the what fault is the victim or what fault is the perpetrators without trying to understand that, like you said earlier, both parties need help. So where yeah. do you think the, the disconnect is or where do you think the lag, as you would put it, where do you think that that lies? It's in the education. It's in the education. Educating one another on what sexual assault 
is educating one another on what consent is and knowing that you know teenagers they get into things right so knowing that if you're under the influence of anything that you cannot give consent you cannot give consent so the education piece is the most important piece to prevention the education piece so people understand what it is like i said to consent but then also it's the it's the belief part it's the belief part of believing survivors of believing survivors when they say something is wrong believing people when they say they've been assaulted believing it and not victimizing the survivor not victimizing the survivor because when you victimize the survivor and say well you should have well you shouldn't have worn that or you shouldn't have been there or maybe you shouldn't have you know been so flirtatious or giving all of these reasons why to say there is nothing there is no reason to violate someone so it's a culture thing as well that has to be shifted here because a lot of times survivors don't come forward because one, they're ashamed, two, they don't think they'll be believed, and three, they're already internalizing it as this is my fault. What did I do wrong here? So if you're already internalizing and asking yourself, oh, it's me, it's my fault that this happened to me, when you go to someone and they shut you down or they ask, that question, are you sure? Are you sure that happened? Well, maybe he or she was trying to, or that automatically triggers the trauma all over again, all over again. So everything is interconnected here. Talk about that. Talk about the silencing piece really quick. You were, you were hitting on something and I, if you could talk about it just a little bit more. So when you think about the silence piece, the suffering in silence, that shame, that guilt, that um, you know, victimization, internalizing it, a lot of times people would just suffer, rather suffer in silence than put a face to what it is that they've experienced, to put a spotlight to what it is that they experienced. Because again, it goes back to one addressing that shame piece of internalizing it and asking, is it my fault? But it also goes to the culture piece of being believed the first time, being believed and supported and saying, I need help. I need therapy. I need counseling. I need to talk to someone that I can confide in and know that that I feel safe. So because someone has been violated, let's talk about that in this in this silence piece. When someone has been violated, that lack of trust, that lack of safety, that lack of stability and security and protection has been tainted, has been tainted. So now the way they look at themselves in the war and the world is distorted, is distorted. So they create these cognitive distortions in their mind. And what cognitive distortions is, if you think about being on a trip and being on a four-wheeler, right? And going through a puddle of mud and you have on goggles and the mud hits your face and your goggles, now your vision is distorted, right? That mud represents the sexual assault. That mud represents the trauma. So now one's mind and their thought process is distorted. So now they're thinking all of these different thoughts and outcomes, if they open up, how is this gonna come back on me? Who will know? All of these different scenarios. Sometimes survivors even think about the perpetrator. How would this impact him or her? What is gonna happen to him or her? Is she or he gonna get in trouble? Is the school gonna expel them? Sometimes you disconnect and disassociate from yourself that you put your attention on the perpetrator. 
So all of these different scenarios can play in one's mind that they rather be silent than to bring attention on their trauma and pain, that they rather cope in silence or they rather rather self-medicate or they rather act out in their behavior in school. They rather do all these things for some attention, some support, because they don't want to bring attention to the real reason why they want attention and support, that they'll act out in their behavior or they'll stop skipping school. So that's why educators have to be very, and parents have to be cognizant and watchful of their children's behavioral change. Because of this suffering and silence piece, they'll suffer in silence, but they'll show it out in their behavior. They'll show it out there talk that that talk then oh talk. i think I, I really do believe that silence speaks volume it does sometimes, sometimes you have to look at the you have to look at why people are silent why people have gone silent and it's just a, it that that that's it that's the phrase silence speaks volume and you have to look at why people have gone silent and mm. for what reasons people have gone silent. And ask those questions. Because of questions that need answers. Speak on that part, yeah. Who has gone, for For who have they gone silent for? What reason mm. have they gone silent? Yes. What, is, what, is, what is my silence saying to you? Yeah. And a lot of people miss the fact that silence speaks for itself. It does. In it every does. scenario, silence will speak for itself. You yes. ever know, I, I, I know one thing is that when you see people, all of a sudden they have this great, they have like this, this, mm -hmm. this great outgoing, yes. And then you just automatically, you can see them just slowly begin to shut down. And the question is why? Mm. That's the question. That's the question, especially when you notice those behavioral changes or even some of the, the psychological effects of sexual assault, like depression, flashbacks, post-traumatic stress disorder, now they're self-harming. Um, there's physical evidence sometimes as far as sexually transmitted diseases, you know, sneaking substances, um, you know, pregnancies, eating disorders. We talked about disassociation, um, suicidal ideation, panic attacks, all of these different things. And even when you think about panic attacks, noticing that now when your child is on, is on his or her way to school, that she's or he is anxious that be I don't want to go to school can I do something else and you see that their mood is changing they're crying often they may not be able to articulate and put language to their pain they're having flashbacks they're not sleeping they're eating more they're eating less they're having these triggers things that didn't bother them now all of a sudden bothers them you slamming a refrigerator door automatically triggers them because maybe before the sexual assault the person that they knew because eight out of ten times the person that has sexually assaulted you you already knew you already felt safe with right because some perpetrators they know their they they know their their victims to where they will have some predatory behaviors and grooming behaviors where they Talk create that. Yes, where they create codependency, where they create a safety net, where they manipulate the person to make them feel like, oh, I'm a safe person. And they do it sometimes 
on the slide where they'll ease in some physical and sexual um, touches or advances or language just to test out how far they can go before they go to that point. So because eight out of 10 times their survivor knows their perpetrator, it can be in a close setting. So going back to that refrigerator example, maybe before that person was sexually assaulted, they were eating in the kitchen and they you know, slammed the refrigerator door before they assaulted them. Now they're in the safety of their home and their mother slams the refrigerator door and now it sends them on a, on a frenzy. Now all of these different things are, having, are taking place within their mind. Now they're having flashbacks and no one knows why they're having these episodes. It's because the refrigerator triggered them and now they're thinking about the sexual assault. So all of those different things are the psychological effects of sexual assault. You're hitting very good pieces and, and, and all of that, you hit very good. Now talk about the the the, the trust that some sometimes perpetrators build that so that they can break it. Talk about that, that that uh dare i say predatory they it talk predatory. You, you were talking about that so yes. unpack that just a little bit more so when you think about predatory and grooming behaviors a lot of the times when we talked about earlier about what it is in a perpetrator's mind that makes them think that this is acceptable that this is okay is sometimes it could be that trauma repeating themselves that's that's how they were groomed that's how they were manipulated. That's how they were controlled. So it's what you see and what you learn to become mentally and emotionally that will spill over into your behavior and in your actions. So building that, that safety net, building that trust, being cognizant of that and taking the time to spend to develop a bond with someone. Not to develop a bond to nourish it, but to develop a bond to violate it to violate it. So when you think about predatory behaviors and grooming, it's paying attention to yourself, paying attention to what feels uncomfortable to you and calling those things out. Because sometimes when we talk to survivors of sexual assault, sometimes when they think back on that traumatic event, they say, hey, there was some signs there that I saw, but I ignored them. I ignore them because again, it goes back Mitchell to that education piece because they wasn't raped. They ignored those little touches and those little kisses and those little groves. That's how they, they looked at it. Oh, that's small. But knowing that those things are grooming behaviors to see how far can I go? How far can I go? So being cognizant of if you feel uncomfortable to say something, and if you don't feel comfortable to say it to the person, tell an adult, tell someone that you do trust, hey, I told this person no many of times and they're still crossing boundaries. It's that lack of boundary piece. So being able to call it out and being aware of, I feel uncomfortable here. They're not respecting me here. So being able to, again, address it being able to address it but to in order to address it Mitchell you first have to be educated on it bingo you have to be educated on it and I think that piece is so I think we're I think in the in the midst of this series sometimes you have to look at the education piece of it mm -hmm. like lack of boundaries um building trust just to literally tear it down like yeah. the the the, the red flag of it all I think is what needs to sometimes be 
taught and educated because mm-hmm. yeah and i just wow you hit every you hit so many good points and so many so from your perspective i have a question where do you think that we can begin to educate where do you think that we can begin to explain boundaries where do you think that we can begin to explain consent where do you think that we can begin to explain all these things and mm-hmm. let the kids like hey if you feel uncomfortable tell someone and that can even i feel like sometimes that can also break some fear because yes. sometimes maybe they can feel uncomfortable about telling the boundaries because mm-hmm. you don't want to jeopardize the relate the relationship being yes. built so what do you where do you think we can begin we're going to talk about that next too but where do you think that we can begin to educate educate these kids so when you think about culture especially social media when you think about music when you think about the media um one of the things that we've always heard is sex sales sex sales that's one of the things that we've always heard and you think about the music that you know everyone is listening to nowadays so in certain situations and in certain mindsets when it comes to sexual assault a lot of minds have been desensitized to it desensitized to it when you think about the me too movement when you think about people coming out and even thinking about some things that is happening in the culture today in the media right some of the things that you hear people say is what took him or her so long to come forward what took him or her so long to speak out well it must not be true if it took a few years to speak out but not knowing it going back to that suffering and silence piece and why a lot of people don't come forward and children hear this our kids hear these conversations that adults are having about adult situations that now they too have experienced as teenagers right so if they hear adults having these conversations well it's been a year or two now why haven't they said something it must not be true not knowing that a junior in high school is listening to this conversation and she was sexually assaulted in her freshman year so she's still struggling with it she's still acting out she's still going through depressive episodes and flashbacks and self-harm because she doesn't feel safe she doesn't feel safe so when people self-harm they're trying to take away the mental and the emotional anguish that they're experiencing to put their attention on the physical harm the physical pain that they're experiencing so one of the biggest things is a culture shift a dialogue shift in order to educate you first have to shift the culture again to believing survivors when they tell you i've been violated i don't care if it happened one week ago one year ago two years ago that may have been the time that they needed to gather some 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 strength to say hey i've been dealing with this for a while now and it's and it's not going well for me i'm not handling this well now i'm ready to talk it takes courage to say i'm not okay it takes courage to say i've been violated in a culture that says are you sure it takes courage to speak out against a popular high school student it takes courage to speak out so when someone does speak out believe them believe them and educate people around your environment the more you educate and the more you shift the culture and the mindset now those those persons who minds have shifted they can go up to the next person and shift their minds but it all goes back to believing and changing the culture it it starts there it starts with our own adult conversations 
because these kids, they hear us. They hear us questioning. So because they hear that, it's just like, I'd rather suffer in silence with my truth. I'd rather suffer in silence with my truth than speak out and it be not believed. That is so good. That is so good. That's so good. I think the education piece sometimes is the most essential piece to this. The mm-hmm. educational piece of it all, explaining yeah. to your kids, watching the conversation that you maybe have, watching the conversation you have, period, not just around your kids, but watching the conversation yep. that you have, period. Yeah. I yeah. think the educational piece is so, 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 so necessary. But I have, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna play this before you, just a bit of a, just a bit of a question. I have talked to, um, I have talked to people of my age group. I talked to people older that mm-hmm. have said, sometimes we have this education available, and these things still continue yeah. to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you have the education available. You have. Um, various forms a plethora of forms of education and these things still happen they do. so yeah. how would you propose that we make education more enforced mm-hmm. i think would be the phrase how do you think we enforce we're teaching this but how do you think that we enforce it how do you think that we really put a put put the put the hammer down and say this is what it's going to be and it cannot change from here what do you where do yeah. you that we go to that specific route the education piece is one thing but enforcing enforcing consequences uh, consequences and having a zero tolerant policy is another thing a lot of times we have all the education we have all the resources through through health classes that's you know typically that's where, where these things are taught right in your health classes right but the real education piece comes in the zero tolerance that you place within the community, within the school setting. That's where it comes in, enforcing it, enforcing it to say, this is not okay, that this is not acceptable, and this is not a behavior that we're gonna tolerate. But when you see, going back to what I stated earlier, when you see things being shown underneath the rug, or when you see things not being taken serious, or you see survivors be victimized, when they do come out, it kind of taints the education piece because it says you all are teaching us this, but when things happen, there's a lack of accountability. There's a lack of ownership. There's nothing done. There's no support. No one is being held accountable here for their actions. So those two pieces, Mitchell, have to merge. Those two pieces have to come together. When you see one piece and you see the other piece, then it becomes a thing in people's minds to say, oh, this is a serious thing. This is a serious thing. And this is something that we're not tolerating. And it all is interconnected when it comes to the culture though, because we can teach things all day long through the, through the school system. But when you see situations occur and you see a lack of accountability, it really taints how hard some of these educators go, you know, and how hard some of these school officials go into creating safe spaces for our children. But when there's that lack of accountability piece, it taints it all. It taints it all. 
because now survivors, their families, and those that see the situation in its totality are saying, all right, what's, what's the point of all of this? What's the point of all of this? Because nothing's going to be done. I'm not going to be believed. What is the point of all of this? And that's why we have so many children suffering in silence. That's how, why we have so many children behaving and acting out their pain and acting out their trauma. Because no one, again, what you stated, what you stated about the silence piece speaking volumes and being loud, no one is hearing how loud these children are speaking in their silence, speaking in their silence. So it has to become a, a no joke, a zero tolerance environment. Well, what else can we say? I mean, yeah. you hit so many, so many good points. So, so many good points, so many gems, so many points of thought, so many points of, you know, hopefully discussions with families. Hopefully yeah. this opens it up to be like, hey, you know, this is what it is. This yeah. is what we need to do. This is what we haven't been doing. And this is what we need to do more of, you know? So I really think that this opens up conversation. I hope um, it does. Not, yeah. not just with us, but I really think that this opens up conversation citywide, hopefully yes. nationwide to say that this is what is happening and this is what needs to be done. This is what's yes. to not need to be done anymore. And this is how we need to shift. This is how we need to change. This is where we need yeah. to go so that this can be put down officially yes. Yes. so that this can be put down. So yes. that we don't have to have these issues anymore. So we don't have to have kids act out what they feel, mm. you know, because if they don't, if they don't properly know where to go and where to express, yes. they're going to act it out. They're going to act it out and, yeah. or they're going to act it out onto others, mm. onto others. That is a piece that, that we didn't talk about when someone is sexually assaulted, they can become one or two things. They can become either hypersexual, sexualized in their behavior, in their thoughts, or they can go inwardly and even be disconnected even at a touch, a platonic touch. That sometimes when people are sexually assaulted, learning the and noticing the behaviors. Why is this child always talking about sex now? Why are they always looking at sexualized content? Because now they are just so overwhelmed with it because of their own violation that again, they acted out onto someone else because now they have to get this energy out that it becomes a disconnect for them mentally that the same pain that they experience, now they're projecting it onto others. So again, it goes both ways. When you think about the survivor and the perpetrator, both need therapy, both need assistance, both need support. I, I really hope that this starts a conversation within the homes of yeah. listeners, people that just, you know, hey, there's a new episode. I really hope this starts conversation because this is something that needs to be talked about. Yeah. Parents, watch your kids. Mm-hmm. That parents, watch your kids, please. Yeah. But this is this was so good. Thank you so much. Thank for being so on Vibe Central. Me. We appreciate you here. You gave us Thank so many you. points of thought, so many gems. Just, it was so good. All of it was so good. Thank you so, so much. Thank you again. Thank you again. And with that, Vibe Central, we out.